Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name's Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. Our Go and Do series has all been about taking our faith and using it, taking it out of the wrapping. I want you to think about like collectible toys and how they, they're destined to spend their whole lives in cellophane instead of getting out and actually being able to be played with. Maybe I've watched too much Toy Story in my time, which I have watched a lot of it, but there's something really special about being able to actually use the thing that you have for the purpose that it was intended for. Our faith was never intended to be something to just look at behind glass. It's been meant to be used. Um, And being a Christian means being in service. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that means you have to do something about it. To truly be a follower of Jesus, you can't just say that you're a Christian and not do anything about it. You have to be at work. And the thing that I'm going to say a lot today, the thing I hope gets stuck in your head, the thing I'll say over and over again is this. Unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. Unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. So let's look at our passage, our two passages that we have here. You know, in in this setting, this is a delicate time for the followers of Jesus and for Jesus himself. Jesus and Judas are the only two guys there that know that this is the Last Supper. Everyone else calls it Supper. They know that this is Jesus' last time here on earth. Jesus knows because he knows all things. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. He's about to die. And it's that last special moment. I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly nostalgic. I've got, you know, a lot of things in, in storage. We have, our, our family, we have a hope chest that's filled with a lot of ephemera that is meaningless to a lot of people, but is so very meaningful to me. The first church I worked at, I stole, I mean, I borrowed a bunch of pens. My poor spouse said to hear this so many times. I don't, I don't want to throw away that pen. The pen's meaningful to me. I have like nine of them, and, but it's, it's meaningful to me. And so I, I feel like Jesus at the supper He knows that this is the last one here on earth, and so he wants to make it special. A lot of pressure on this dinner. What does Jesus do? In the face of desertion, Christ chooses kindness. He knows that this is going to be the last supper because his friends will betray him and desert him, and yet he chooses kindness. He chooses to get up and wash their feet. Now, in our modern age, the washing of feet is not a sign of love, really. If you try to wash my feet, I'm going to fight you. I, 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 will, I will play zone defense. I will run as fast as I can. If you see my feet being washed, know that it's against my will. It is not something that I want to have happen. But in the time of Jesus, to have your feet washed is akin to having that special creamer that you like in the fridge. That kind of service is, is having a diet Dr. Pepper cherry flavored in the fridge because you know a friend likes it. It's having 
plant-based milk in the fridge because you know you're hosting someone who's lactose intolerant. It's those sorts of things that we could probably understand as foot washing. You know, in Jesus's time, we have images of people using donkeys or camels to get around, but that was really only the elite of the elite. Really, if you were going to get around in Jesus's time, it would be the donkeys on the bottom of your legs. That's how you were getting around. You were using your feet. And shoes were a luxury as well. Most people would have something to guard their feet against stones and things like that. But for the most part, you'd have nasty, nappy hobbit feet. Am I really painting the picture for you? Is anyone skin crawling yet? Good. Wonderful. That was the goal. And for Jesus to get down and to wash the feet of his disciples, I'll do one more. The water would be dirty at the end, right? He was doing a delicate and kind service. And this kind of service was offensive to the order of things. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was not like everyone else. There have been times when I've joked when I get some sort of sass. It's very rare when that happens from members of this community. It's only like every other day. I might mumble something under my breath, you know, the Catholics don't have to put up with this. You know, they respect their pastors. And I never, ever mean it. Uh, you all love me very, very well. But it wasn't, I try to be, because I am, just like everyone else, on the same level. You guys know my sins. You know the ways that I mess up. You know that I'm just like you. That was not like it was during Jesus' time. Rabbis were not like everyone else. Teachers with disciples were not like everyone else. Disciples would not walk next to their teachers. Disciples would walk behind their teachers. They would not speak first at meals. The disciples were silent in the presence of their teacher. They were not on the same level. So imagine, if you will, the person at the top of the hierarchy does something as humble as washing feet. This was offensive to the order of things. And we learn in this that Christ has no interest in hierarchy. He wants heaven on earth. And unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. Jesus doesn't need to be on top. He doesn't need to be regarded as some great teacher, some great God amongst men. Instead, Jesus chooses humility. Jesus chooses service. And what is service? Well, like I said, we were at camp, or I was at camp this week, and it was, it was incredible. Um, adult volunteers, the students were great, the counselors were wonderful. It, it was a lot. I don't know if you've noticed, but it is hot outside. And summer camp has changed, I'm sure, since a lot of us have gone, but something has remained. It's still hot in the summer, amen? And a lot of it, unfortunately, happens outside. They would go to huts sometimes for like small group discussion, and they'd have this one little window unit just, you know, it's like trying its best, but at some point, you know, you're just, you're building a sandcastle underwater. It's, it's going to be hot, right? I would see these counselors, and some of them were my students at Florida Southern, and they would look at you with this look on their face of like, I don't, I don't think I have any sweat left. Like, I think it's all out. And then when they were done with that, then they would go and gather up a group of middle schoolers, and then go play ultimate frisbee and pretend to have fun. 
right? You know, really like, wow, this is so great. <laughs> and, you know, trying their best to ensure that people are having a great time. Little people are having a lot of fun. Listen, you know, the adult volunteers were amazing, all those things, but adult volunteers got to leave at the end of the week. Counselors had to stay. I overheard someone asking, what, so what do you guys do when we're not here for those, you know, 48 hours that there's no one here doing camp? They said, well, we clean, we have three hours off, and then we start planning the next week. And then we get our assignments, and then it's Monday, and then kids start showing up. Their compensation is not incredible. Uh, I think it has remained constant since the 1900s. And so we're just about this close from paying them in chickens. And the counselors were the all-stars. The dishwasher broke, and so this became the dishwasher. And you would see the kitchen crew, and I'd be like, did you go to the pool? And they'd be like, no. And then they'd get closer and be like, you smell like mac and cheese. And it's because they had been scrubbing our dirty dishes for hours. I mean, they get paid very little, and they love immensely. There were moments when I saw kids being kids, middle schoolers being middle schoolers, and counselors being the light of the world to them. I don't know how many of you have interacted with middle schoolers, but they're, sorry, middle schoolers in the house. They can be kind of annoying. They tell the same joke one billion times, and then they tell it again just to make sure you heard them. Sometimes they don't like to listen, and sometimes they just want to do whatever they want, and it requires an immense level of passion and dedication and patience, and I saw it in spoonfuls with them. Every counselor thought about themselves less, not less of themselves. But friends, when we gain our identity from our role in God's kingdom, being selfless comes naturally. When we gain our identity from our role in God's kingdom, being selfless comes naturally. I talked to one college student in particular that had just interactions with some of the most difficult middle schoolers that I've interacted with. And I asked him, what, how are you doing this? And I actually asked him, when you go to bed, are you just crashing? Are you just immediately hitting the pillow and falling asleep? And he goes, no, actually, when I get to bed, I'm usually pretty, still pretty amped up from the day. And so what I do to go to sleep is I, I reflect on what happened that day in gratitude. I reflect on what happened in the day in gratitude. And I wonder if it helps him fall asleep because it's hard to find anything sometimes, right? I mean, sweaty, tired, kids being very ungrateful, kids being very difficult, and yet this person who finds his identity in God's kingdom is able to reflect on the goodness of the day in gratitude. Unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. I want us to look at this because sometimes service in the church, sometimes what we expect from people when it comes to serving in the church or serving because of the gospel is that we lose ourselves in the process. I don't know about you, but I've interacted with church people that serve so much in the church or serve so much in their community, they don't have anything for themselves. And they're just about this close from burnout. I don't think that's what God is calling us to. Christ does call us to take up our cross and carry it daily and, and to die to ourselves, but I don't think that means that we lose all connection with our why, with why we do what we do. Christ doesn't value himself less. Christ says, you call me Lord and teacher, which is right because that is what I am. 
and yet I choose to serve you. All of us are children of God, and that is exactly how we need to see ourselves. And when we serve, we need to remember that we are not doing it because someone asked us to. We are doing it because it is an expression of who we are. See, Christ doesn't value himself less. Christ values the mission more. You know, there's not one counselor or adult volunteer at camp this week that was doing it because they thought that what they deserved was to scrub Sloppy Joe off of 500 plastic plates. They were doing it because they knew that someone else had done it for them before, and they knew that the gospel would be taught because bellies were full. The reason why we serve in church is not because no one else will do it, but because we get to do it. Christ valued the mission more. Christ shows us that our true meaning becomes real when we serve. When Jesus got down and washed the feet of his disciples, his message became clear to his followers. When Jesus got down in the position of a servant and cared for his people that were following him, his message became real. And unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. You see, service in the church is not just coffee. Service with shepherds can be as simple as being the welcome team. If you, and I hope you will, feel agitated towards this and in service and and want to express your faith in a tactile way, it can be as simple as saying hello to people as they come in. Even if you're not at the door, making sure that anyone that comes in here receives a welcome is service. It can look like leadership. We have leaders in this church that help guide and direct the work of this church. Just to be clear, I am not in charge of this church. I have a boss. I have a lot of bosses. I have so many bosses. And it's not just the Lord. I answer to a team of people that come with the building, so to speak. They are invested in this church and this community. I can't just do whatever I want. Glory to God. I have people that are invested that help me know what's best for this community. But ultimately, service at Shepherds looks like seeing this place as a chance to love someone else. What if every single time you walked on this property or said that you went to Shepherds, you saw it as a chance to show someone else that you love them? I'll say that again. What if every time you walked on this property or told someone you went to Shepherds, you saw it as a chance to love someone well? When we see all our life as an act of worship, the world around us becomes our mission field. When we see all our life as an act of worship, the world around us becomes our mission field. And unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. How many of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers? When I was in Winter Park, everyone was super into Mr. Rogers because Mr. Rogers went to Rollins College in Winter Park. It was kind of the only one that they could claim. Carrot Top, the comedian, lived around there, and seeing him was like seeing a bunny. It was like, whoa, that's, and uh, he drove a moped. What were we talking about? Mr. Rogers. But Mr. Rogers was someone that was claimed by Winter Park, loved by Winter Park, and it was a guy that, you know, really had a huge influence on my life. I was teaching class at Florida Southern, and I brought up Mr. Rogers, and they all looked at me like I had two heads, and they said, what, should we know who this guy is? 
And I was like, yeah, I mean, what, you know, won't you be my neighbor? And they're like, oh, Daniel Tiger? I was like, get out of my classroom. You're, you're not allowed to be here. But anyways, Mr. Rogers said this. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. How do we become the helpers? How do we become the helpers? Because when people think about Christians, I don't know if the first thing they think of is helpful. I once met a woman, she was a little bit older than me, who was born in Japan. And there was a war, World War II. She was, she was very, very old. And while she was there, when the war ended, the cleanup began. And she said, when I was a little girl, handsome men came to my town and began to work on buildings. She said they were handsome. I'm not putting words into her mouth. But I thought they were so handsome, I wanted to know where they came from. Come to find out, they were Methodists. That's why this 90-year-old woman was a United Methodist. Huge impact on her. They must have been very handsome. It made a big impact in her life. When there are problems, when they arise, I think Christians have forgotten that that's our business. So how do we become the, the helpers? Number one, we grow in empathy. Empathy is the feeling that we have when we see someone else suffer and we immediately feel for them. We wonder how it must feel to be like them, to suffer in the way that they are suffering. And I think the number one block between us and empathy is a lack of curiosity. When we see someone else suffer and we think to ourselves, well, they should have, or that would never have happened if, that'll never happen to me. When we react in that way, it is because of a lack of curiosity. When we see people hungry in our community, when we see people in our community not having health care, when we see people in our community being lonely, it is not our job to figure out why unless we are trying to find a solution. It is not our job to explain away the suffering of others in order to make ourselves feel better. It is our job to heal the world through the power of Christ. Before I became the pastor at Shepherds, I spent 10 years in youth ministry, and I, my bread and butter was preaching to 6th through 12th graders. I would take them on trips, would do confirmation, all sorts of fun stuff, and preaching to 6th through 12th graders, sometimes hundred, hundreds at a time, is not easy. In, when you instruct in school, you have, you're supposed to have backup that you can say you can go to the principal's office. I don't have anyone that I can send them to other than God, and I thought about sending them to God sometimes. Just kidding. But it, it can be difficult, and rowdiness is something that's distracting to everyone. When there's a lot of noise, it can be hard to hear what's happening, and believe it or not, in a group of 150 middle schoolers, there were about eight or nine boys that decided it was showtime, and they took any opportunity that I was preaching to, to have a little bit of showtime, and some of their jokes were, in fact, funny. The vast majority were not, but they were loud. And so the first night, it was a bit of a beating for me. I'll, I'll admit, it was tough. They were in the way back. They had no interest in what I had to say, and everyone in the congregation also couldn't have an interest in what I had to say. 
And so when I got done, some of the leaders came to me and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to really, we're going to separate them. We're going to get more leaders in there. We're going to be on them. We're going to make sure that they're not talking. And I felt a bit like we were talking about some sort of action plan for a prison. And I began to be curious. And I wondered why they might be making the noise that they're making. And so that next night, I had them sit in the front row. Come to find out, that's why they were making all the noise, because they were way too far away for me to go, hey, stop it. And so once they moved up to the front row, it leveled out, it chilled out a little bit. It was a little bit better. But I'm not telling that story because I want to brag about how good I am at congregational management, although that was nice. I'm telling this story to tell you the story of the last night of camp. I needed communion servers, and I asked all of them to serve communion for me. And to see the joy on their faces, they held bread and gave way too much. Uh, I know that there's been talk that Pastor Michael doesn't give enough bread. Uh, you would love these guys. Five people went through, and they said, I need another loaf. And I said, brother, I... <laughs> okay. The smiles on their faces as they gave bread and cup to their friends. And then as they all gathered together at the altar to pray, I thought to myself, look what curiosity can do. Because if I had a lack of empathy, instead I had a sense of justice. If, if all of the leadership of that camp decided instead to, to litigate and get them in trouble and to figure out a way to get them in line, what we would have missed out on was a show of God's grace. When we refuse easy explanations for suffering around us, we see our work to be done. When we refuse the easy explanation of, well, sometimes kids are just rowdy and you got to really squish them, we see a possibility for God to do a great work. When we see the hunger around us and we say to ourselves, well, maybe if they just worked a little bit harder, we miss out on an opportunity to feed and fill empty bellies. When we see people suffering from trauma, religious trauma, because of how they were raised in the church, and we say, well, not all churches are like that, we miss our opportunity to provide healing. When we use easy explanations instead of finding ways to get to work, we are missing out on our opportunity to get on our knees and wash the feet of Christ. What a gift that would be to show the world that we are the helpers. So I always try and have an action point for you every Sunday, and it's this this week. On the back table, the welcome table over there, you'll find these little cards. They have our SMART goals for the year as a church. Every single one of you would be able to help and serve in some way to help accomplish these goals. By doing that, you will be able to serve your neighborhood. And so my action for you this week is to take one of these home, we have plenty, and to pray over what of the six goals you'll participate in. And then next week, I'll show you the leaders of those goals so that you can then tell them, put me in, coach, I'm ready. And unless we want to feel out of place with Christ, we need to be of service. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, friends, I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life, helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.